Welcome to the LifeCast 2018 Goatee like Special. My notebook, I don't know why I opened it. There's nothing in here. I'll edit that out, sorry. Yeah, no problem. I'll leave it in. Um, <gasps> <laughs> so, we're, we're doing things a little different this year. Uh, last year, we did our sort of like discussions and like deliberations. We ended up picking a winner. But this year, uh, most of us didn't play all that many games so it would even more so than last year it would be a bunch of like hmm well i'll take your word for it (laughs) so this you know that sounds great but how does it play (laughs) (laughs) And, and so and so we're doing it like how we did our 2016 one which never came out i believe or is that 2017 yeah yeah, no, 2016. Yeah, 2016 one. never came out. But how it worked Ooh. is we're just gonna Wait. go. Yeah, that was the that was the cursed one. 2016. We're doing 2018. Yes, we're God. doing 2018. 2017 was the discussion. The one where we argued a lot. Yeah, it was good argument was for the idea. most part, with some spikes of bad arguments. <laughs> Um, it's okay. You can name me <laughs> at me next time. <laughs> um, I should have been more prepared. But I said what I said, and I meant it. And we ain't looking to the past, <laughs> nigga. We're looking to the future. Yeah. Um, but ironically, we are looking to the past and doing our 2016 format, ah, which is just um, everyone just kind of goes around in a circle, and we just talk about our sort of top three, top five, depending on what you got. I only have a top three, personally. Um, I, I could cut two out of here, but like... Yeah, let's do top three. <laughs> But I don't really want to. Let's do top five. <laughs> 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 All right, let me come up with two more games. Okay. You go first. Um, and so, yeah, so we're just going to go around the circle and talk about our our top five games. And we're going to go like five and then four. So five and like jump to the next person. Everybody does five. Everybody does four. Everybody does three. Everybody does two. Everybody does one. All right. Um, so like cool. are we going to need like Google Maps because I don't know like where I'm sitting in the circle. Okay, I will like, we just create a, like, a map of, of like how uh, I will determine it based on the <laughs> does is the Discord order like in the voice channels? Is it the same for all of us? I have Adam, Dan, me, Diana. Yeah. the same order mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah, for all right, seems like a perfect order to go in, especially since I need to come up with two more games. <laughs> 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 all right, so Adam, take us away with your number five game. Ah, oh, damn! I didn't really consider this to be order. I just wrote five games. So give me a sec here. Okay, we got- yeah, that'll be number five. Um, my number five is uh, Return of the Obra Dinn. It is a new game by Lucas Pope. He was the guy who made Papers, Please. And this game, you start off in a little little boat, a little tiny boat, and you're about to board a ship where horrific things have happened. There are 60 people on the boat, and all of them died. Hmm. And you have to solve the murder of every one of them, and also name them all. So how, how it plays out is you have this little compass or something it's got like a skull on it and you walk up to dead bodies and you can play a little vignette of when they died so how it works is like if it if multiple people died at the same time you will be taken to this whole little like like moment in time where it's paused and shit is happening on the ship and you have to go walk around and like look at the whole thing and take everything into consideration and it's a it's a really hard puzzle game, which is something I super enjoy. It didn't it super didn't hold your hand at all. It just kind of threw you in a ship. You're like, and they show you a picture of all of the the people on the ship together, like right before 
the big thing happened. And it says you have to name every single person on the ship over the course of the game. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> wow. So um, it's, it's, it's really, really... Like, like, it's really tightly designed in that sense, too, where it's like, well, hold on, let me, let me, let me go back a little bit first. So how it works is information will be given in each piece of thing, in, in each little vignette, and there are things you have to pay attention to, like their accents and, like, their clothing, because there is a list of just occupations and names, and you have to put faces to all of them, so... And if the um, if the information is disclosed at any point in any of the cutscenes, in their little drawing, their faces will like be more and more get more and more clear. And if their face is clear, that means you you can figure out who they were based on the information they gave you. So right. it's a lot of like backtracking and a lot of cool shit like that. And it's just like a really like tight, unique experience that I really loved. Cool. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. It was. <laughs> that's the that's the one that's like all black and white, right? It's you can actually change it. So like you can change it for like different types of like consoles and computers and stuff like that. You can have it like it's it's really cool. But yeah, the the main the main color is like it's like a green and white almost. Okay. But you so you I, can swap it out. Yeah. That was in the the fucking game awards, right? Yeah. Okay, so I am thinking of the right one. Yeah, I didn't know that was from the team who did Papers, please. Yeah, the same guy, Lucas Pope. Oh, He's a machine. I need to <laughs> play that now, because Papers, Please is my favorite. Probably, like, my favorite game I've never finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, like, I put, like, a few hours into it, and I fell in love. And, like, I don't know, I just never got back into it. <laughs> same. Yeah. Um. This is a little different than that, yeah. I'll, I'll say. Yeah, not yeah, yeah, not yeah. nearly as much social commentary. <laughs> yeah, but, you one. know. Yeah. It's just, it's just fucking sick. You gotta respect This game, super sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Dan, take us away with your number five. All right, so uh, my number five is uh, Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise. Yay. Nice. It's... It's, like, so surprisingly good because, like, it's an anime game. You wouldn't expect it to be, like, super-duper high quality. But, oh, man, this this is, like, probably the best anime game ever made, honestly. Because it, it like, it has, like, the perfect kind of storytelling formula for something like this in that uh, the story that is happening within the game is, like, its own self-contained narrative, but... You know, so that way you're not just hearing the same story over and over again. But uh, what pushes this narrative forward are familiar story beats that you see in the source material. So you'll get, like, moments that are taken, like, straight from the manga or the anime, uh, but they're repurposed to push this story forward in different contexts, and it works super fucking well. So you get this really good combination of, like, a fresh story, so you're not just seeing the same rehashed story that Fist of the North Star has been seeing since its creation in the early 80s, uh, but you're also getting all that fan service in from all the super iconic moments of the show. Uh, on top of that, it's, like, really fucking made from a, a, a super, super strong place of love. Because uh, this is done by the Yakuza team. Ooh. And 
they really, really love Fist of the North Star. Like, you can, like, it, even as someone who has never played a Yakuza game, I can see it in, like, just watching their games happen. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 from what I understand, it's structured exactly like a Yakuza game, but it just takes place in the Fist of the North Star world. Yeah, I remember when I first heard about this game, and the fact that it was being made by the Yakuza devs, I was super excited. And I actually didn't even know it came out this year, so that was definitely something I'm going to check out. <laughs> it came out, I think, within a week of Soul Calibur VI. Ah, that might be Yeah, it was around that time. Yeah. I hope it's Soul Calibur. And they didn't really say anything about it, it just kind of dropped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really, really like it. It's running on the Yakuza 6 engine, so, like, the combat is, like, buttery smooth, and you have all of this, like these these really really cool finishing moves which you have way too many of yes. and it's kind of great <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh it's it, it's it's done in a really like weird way i don't know if this is how yakuza does it but like the combat at the very very start is like really repetitive because all you're doing is like pressing square four times and then pressing circle to do a finisher but like the more you unlock stuff on your skill tree, the just the the more complex your like combos and situations can get. You have like eventually you get like three counters, you can add two finishing moves on top of each other, you can like juggle opponents. It it and it gets like super expressive. And it's just oh, it's so well done. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh it just it does Everything that an anime game needs to do, and it does it better than any other one I have ever seen. And it's such a love letter to the the source material, and I just, I really, really love this game. Cool. Alright, so it's my turn. Hi. My number five game is... Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> So I, you know, I played about five games this year. <laughs> That's nah, really convenient. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just playing. So yeah, me, me and Smash Ultimate, we have a, we have a kind of a mixed relationship. Um, that's not a term. We have a <laughs> uneasy relationship. Things are there's some aspects about this game I love and some I dislike. But at the end of the day. I don't know if I smiled more playing a different game. Um, there's something about Smash that brings my family together. I'm a, I've got a very large family, and um, we've been playing Smash since you know '64. And you know, every time a Smash game comes out, everybody gets together, we put items on, and we beat the fuck out of each other. But even more so than that, I think this is a decent competitive game. We'll see how the meta unfolds, but I do I do like what I'm seeing so far. There is a lot more creativity in the gameplay than say something than previous entries in the series and honestly that's what draws me to Smash in the first place is that sort of expression through gameplay thing that uh the Smash games do so well. Um you can really tell the personality of the player and how they move and you know which moves they you know choose to take and all that and it's, so for that, it does a pretty good job of holding up that legacy. Also, just the designs of all the new characters, barring like, <laughs> barring like K. Rule, are actually pretty interesting and well done. Not everyone is just a, you know, a down B counter like in Smash Four. Um, and 
you know, they made Bowser really fast. And, you know, <laughs> for for all its ups and downs, you can't really be mad at Sakurai for being such a fucking genius. What? Come on. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, so, Diana, what's your number five? My number five is Katamari Damacy Reroll. Because it's just such an experience. I haven't played the original. I didn't, like, have a PS2 growing up. That actually comes in a couple times on my list. But I didn't have a PS2 growing up. But I've always loved the Katamari games. Because I just think they're such an encapsulation of, like, this whimsy that's kind of hard to quantify. You know, it came out at the right time. It was... Like, it was just short enough to be done in a couple of days, which I really liked. And, like, the music's good. The whole vibe's good. I just... I don't know. There's something about it that... Out of all of the other games I've played, which isn't a whole lot. It... It was just nice. Yeah, I... I, yeah. <laughs> I love Katamari Damacy. It's, like, honestly one of my favorite games of all time. Like, <laughs> there is... It might be the most jolly fucking game ever made. <laughs> and yeah. not so much of the soundtrack is amazing. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, Katamari it's games game. are so wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, these aren't my own words. I saw it on Twitter or something like that. But, like, that game has, like, remained truly unique, like, since it fucking came out. Like, there hasn't been a thing like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there's something to be said for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wholly unique in a way that no other game is <laughs> and no other game will be <laughs> like no. you, you can't make un- you can't make your own roller game no <laughs> <laughs> i feel i feel like they they just took it they perfected it and they just you know put it away i i, yeah. I would actually pop off super hard if they ever announce a new one of those games <laughs> yeah but um yeah For adam sure. take us away with your number four. Oh shit it's my turn already yep. oh man this is probably the game i have the least amount to say but it was also one of the ones I liked the most because it's in my top five. Um, this game is called Yoku's Island Express, which um, uh, I think I talked about on the podcast before, where it's a open-world pinball game, and you play as a little delivery bug, and you have to go around the world and deliver all your packages. And this game is super, super charming, super, super colorful, and it works in like some really unique ways in like, in the sense where like if you if you hear what the fuck it is, you're going to be like, wow, that, that sounds that sounds kind of funky. But it ends up working in some, like, really good ways. They have, like, bumpers set up across the whole world. You're not, like, completely hopeless. Like, you can still move around and roll your ball. So, like, you're never in a situation where you're like, ah, fuck, the bumper sent me here and now I can't do anything because it's a pinball game. <laughs> so it, it all ends up working out pretty well. And it's, like, it, this game just fucking oozes with, like, charm and it's just like like it's happy tone it's like you have to be pretty stone cold not to smile when you're playing this game <laughs> and like the soundtrack is just so it's it's just so good it's so like uplifting i super like this game cool all right dan what's your number four uh my number four uh, came after a bit of debate between this and number three, but I think my number four is The Messenger. <laughs> Messenger is a really, really good action platformer. Uh, 
it has really, really nice gimmicks. I love its double jump mechanic where, like, you have to hit something midair to jump again. And yes. you can do this infinitely so long as there's something to hit. Uh, that opens up so many really cool platforming challenges. It's it's really, really fun to just mess around with that. Uh, and you, the writing is fantastic. All the dialogues between you and the shopkeeper are really entertaining. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, I was... The Messenger was definitely going to be on my list, but I honestly haven't put enough time into it where I would feel comfortable putting it in my top five. But, yeah, for I only put about, like, two, three hours into it, and I loved, like, every second of it. Oh, yeah. It, it only gets better. Like, every single story that that shopkeeper tells is so good. Yeah. Um, it looks great. It sounds fantastic. Definitely has the best soundtrack of the year by far, in my opinion. Uh, because the soundtrack is actually done by uh, a chiptune artist I followed way before this game came out called Rainbow Dragon Eyes. Uh, he primarily does chiptune death metal. <laughs> nice. How do, how do you do a chiptune death scream? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but he does it. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's a really good, super talented composer. Uh, and it, it just it feels really good. It looks gorgeous. It runs well. I, do, I don't think it does anything part in particular that makes it, like, really, really stand out. Uh, it has a really good plot twist. Uh, I won't say exactly what since saying it ruins the entire plot twist. <laughs> but it, it's the only game to have, like, almost no story whatsoever outside of go right and still fuck me up with a twist. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's high praise. <laughs> uh, but I think the thing that made me put it at number four as opposed to number three or number two is after you get a little bit uh, far into it, once you reach about th three quarters of the way through, I want to say, uh, the game opens up and becomes more of like a, a Metroidvania style game. Um, but once you hit that point, it just kind of doesn't work out because the game is designed linearly. So all the extra places you can explore are just, like, one or two nooks and crannies in the stages that you might have missed, and that's it. Hmm. I've definitely heard that people, like, super dropped off of it after it became a 16-bit thing. Yeah. That that seems about right. But, like, the, the first, like, the first three-fourths of the game are so masterfully done. Yeah. I, I played a good chunk of it. I didn't actually get to the Metroidvania stuff, but yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed it up until then. Well, yeah. I didn't get Honestly, there, if, if you want to stop after the Met, if you want to stop once you hit the Metroidvania stuff, I, I yeah. I'd see why. I'm okay. still going through it. I'm not completely done with it, but I'm like literally right before like end game. So yeah, um, I'll have to pick it up again because like I got to time. when you get the, the like the the section after you get your hook shot. That was really fun. Oh yeah, I, I don't remember what happened. I think something might have come out or something like that. I don't know why I stopped playing it, but yeah, I enjoyed it for when I played. Yeah, it's a good time. It is. Uh, but yeah, that's it. It's it's just a a good ass platformer, but yeah. it is. that's it. All right, so my number four is probably the best, or at least like the most clean cleanest design game that came out this year and that's into the breach into the breach oh, yeah, is sure. 
fascinating and as someone who who still wants to uh be a game designer this game really piqued my interest um it has probably some of the um how do i don't know it's it's got some of the best like ui and and the best information <laughs> which kind of sounds weird it's it's got the most the most consistent and clean way to uh show off information that of any game that i've ever played and the way it does this is that it just has um one the math is very simple things generally have one to three and maybe at higher levels like seven eight hp and um you deal like one through four damage stuff like that very simple math and it does this thing where all the enemies show they should have it has like a predictive element where it'll tell you exactly what the uh enemies will do and the sort of way you and your uh maybe i should backstep so pretty much how it works is that you're on like a 16 by 16 grid generally and you have a squad of three robots each one can move like one to three squares and you have like three or four moves that you can use to interact with the world and the enemies and you're generally trying to protect um like a, a few energy sources like and you're trying to win a war against these like uh, insect creatures and um so generally during each turn the enemies will move and they'll show what they're going to do generally they'll target your buildings which you want to protect and you use your skills which almost always have some sort of like uh, element of like shifting the enemy's positions or shifting your positions and so what ends up happening is that you're able to create these situations where you can make enemies hit each other and um and you can come up with really creative solutions and you have to because this game is also hard as shit probably def definitely the hardest game i played this year um and it just rewards you for that creativity and it just there's you know there's some games where it's like oh if you put if you you know put a lot into it, you'll get a lot out this game forces you to put a, it sort of forces you to um to put a lot in and it rewards you greatly for that creativity like you will be able to you can do like maybe one damage with your guy but if you know in the right circumstance you could deal like four or five with just a single attack because the enemies were placed in such a way or maybe you used a certain combination of attacks to have enemies clash into each other and it's just so satisfying every time you get one of those oh, yeah i can't i can't explain how good it feels to like get one of those combos off or use all three of your mechs to set up and push the enemies into like one big play oh yeah there's nothing feels better nothing yeah, feels that game better. is so fucking good <laughs> like the, the story of my year another game i really enjoyed but didn't get enough time to play it yeah. but god that game's so good yeah no just fucking... it's just like so neatly designed Brilliant. I love it. Brilliant fucking game. Brilliant. And it makes sense. It's made sure. by the guys who made FTO. So Another brilliant game. <laughs> <laughs> Another brilliant game. These guys are just smart. Yeah. And every time yeah. you find some smart people, you hold on to them. Never let them go. <laughs> you give them all your money. <laughs> yeah. Also, Soundtrack's Great banger. Game. Soundtrack's banger, too. All right. Deanna, number four. My number four is the Octoling expansion for Splatoon 2. Because... <laughs> hey. um, Splatoon 2 is just in general the first shooter that I've been good at and I have enjoyed. Like there's such a there's such a culture around it that's just like kind of silly and like fun. 
the fact that there's no voice chat is just it kind of forces everyone into using the taunts and everything to communicate whether it's tactically or you know just to dick around yeah. but the, the octoling expansion was fucking hard <laughs> you know like yeah technically m- like maneuvering wise aiming and timing it's all like you need to use all of your skills to get through it and 100 percent it and like i haven't done it it's fine but it also lets you experience the story and the lore of it without needing to be as technically good as like the best splatoon 2 player you know like the rewards that they give you for 100 percenting the the expansion is like pretty small it's just a little hair accessory that you don't necessarily like see when someone's wearing it but it carries a lot of weight you know and i just think that not only did it give a lot of character to pearl and marina as like secret agents but it gave a lot of character to the inklings and the octoling that you play and plus it gave us some pretty cool character customization stuff so i still don't have a switch i borrowed it also, shout out to actually acknowledging the hip hop influences of, of you know, the subculture of what mm-hmm. that is. Like, I find there's lots of like, uh, you know, Korean and Japanese like subcultures that are like heavily hip hop influenced, but I never see them be like, "Yo, Tupac is dope." <laughs> 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 but like, like, like this one is just like all fucking hip hop references, and I'm like, "Yeah, come on, man, I love." Yeah, they I, definitely do a lot of it. Yeah, I, I love when cultures mingle like that, and. Uh, this was one of the first like sort of Japanese media things to kind of like not acknowledge kind of hip hop culture. So that's cool. Yeah. Splatoon has a, just like in general has a ton of personality more so than most Nintendo games, if not all of them. Yeah. And like For sure. from, from what I have played of the Octoling expansion, again, something I, I wanted to play, but I just didn't have the time for, I played a little bit of it and that's it was, uh, it just kept adding more and more to that personality. Because, like, everything that was great about, like, how Splatoon 2 treated itself, it seemed like Octoling Expansion just decided to, like, amplify it tenfold. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Adam, number three. Number three? My number three is God of War. Uh, God of War is dope. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> <Nice. laughs> yeah. fucking go. <laughs> God of War is fucking dope. Um, no, God of War is my number three game. And one thing I really love about this game is how they make the world feel kind of grounded, but they, like, intertwine its mythos with it, like, really well. Like, there are these moments of it where you're just kind of walking around, and, oh, there's the fucking world serpent. And, like, you're walking around, it's like, oh, there's a fucking talking tree and stuff like that, you know? Like, they make this game feel, like, almost magical in that sense, where it's like i guess it's supposed like it's supposed to have all this mythological things but it doesn't always necessarily seem like it even though you're literally playing as kratos like they do a good job of like subverting that in certain places and then like coming back to it really cleanly and the combat is super super satisfying they make like the sound design specifically in the combat is like it's really fucking good it makes every hit like really impactful and like i, I do think it dropped off a little bit towards the end but I do have to say, I, I will give them credit to just, like, making an ending that's just a fucking ending. They didn't do this, like, big, grand thing. They just kind of ended their fucking game. And I have mad respect for that. 
But, uh, yeah, it was a fucking damn good game. <laughs> All right, Dan, number three. <laughs> uh, my number three is Monster Hunter World. Hey, hey. <laughs> so, I've been singing the praises of Monster Hunter since 3 Try on the Wii. Uh, and with each game, uh, or, or not each game now that World is out, but like up until about four ultimate, each game just got progressively better and better. And Monster Hunter World, uh, despite having some problems with like the monsters themselves, uh, was an incredibly well refined, uh, game for Monster Hunter. They made so many quality of life changes. Uh, it feels the best out of all the Monster Hunter games by far. Uh, and I feel like it sets a really good baseline standard for what future Monster Hunter games can, like, work off of. Like, if they, if they keep these standards for all following Monster Hunter games and just keep improving upon them, like, it's it's going to get so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the new monsters, for the most part, are really fun. Uh, it's really the only Monster Hunter game I've played that feels just as good solo as it does in a group, at least for me. Uh, and that's probably just because the, the combat is just more refined. Uh, and also because I can control the camera with a right stick. Uh, <laughs> that's it's, true, because it was on 3DS last. <laughs> yeah. Woof. Uh, it is one of the best-looking games on the PS4. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's just... Monster Hunter is Monster Hunter, you know? I, I can't really go and talk about anything that, like, nobody hasn't already said about the franchise as a whole. It does what it does. It's, like, super its own thing. And world just kind of optimized it it made the series easy to get into which is something that it wasn't able to do at all prior to world yeah for sure uh it's just a really genuinely fun game uh my only complaints are like it needs more armor and it needs more returning monsters and like that's it but those two things are very important so Mm. Uh, but yeah. All right. Monster Hunter is Monster Hunter. I can't That's wait really for Iceborne. Monster Hunter is Monster Hunter is also my number three. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, in the thick thoughts that never came out. Rest I, in peace. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, we, uh, I was very critical of this game. Um, but I don't know, man. When I'm thinking, when I'm thinking about my year, and I'm thinking, you know, back to the memories, I'm getting this inch itch to play the game again, and all all the frustration is sort of melted away, and I'm just left with like the the sort of fond memories of this game, and I'll I'll That's never what happens. I'll never forget. I probably put like a clean eighty hours into this game, and I learned a, and I figured out a new technique on my hammer, and I remember just the pure bliss. Like. <laughs> that I had during that moment and for those who it was the um the fact that you can charge and then run up the wall and then jump off the wall and get like a thousand hits and it feels so good 
but yeah i i think i think feeling is is sort of like the big or the feeling of the hits really at least for me was is what really sells me on this game there is <laughs> when you do the the charge move on the hammer just the light one so you start you do the charge one you hit and then if you hit like a heavy attacking i honestly don't remember the controls but i believe if you hit like heavy attack again he'll come back with an upswing and it has so much like knockback number or whatever i don't know how the fuck the game works and there's so many times where you'll hit the monster in the head and they'll reel and it just feels so good to hit a giant fucking monster with the giant fucking hammer that's that's really all that really needs to be said about this game it feels good to hit big things with other big things i'm gonna hit a motherfucker (laughs) with another motherfucker and wow that i mean that's it and i mean the palicos are great I love the sort of the the sort of like goofy vibe of it all. The running animation is like super cheesy, you know. When you <laughs> eat your food, it's super over the top, um, and it, it you know it really won me over because like I like like Dan mentioned, these games are kind of hard to get into, and this was like the first manageable one. Uh, I bounced off like two previous Monster Hunter games. I I I always had this thing where I assumed I could get into it because there are sort of like games where you fight big monsters and the combat's kind of slow i'm like oh dark souls so it's like naturally (laughs) i couldn't i can get into it but i just never could until this game and i feel like that's super important because now you know i might be able to go back and play those like really obtuse ones and and really understand because generally like when people like like now that you understand how monster hunter works you can absolutely go back to previous ones and have a good time yeah yeah it's like when 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 you we always know those games where it's like there's some enthusiast they're like this is my favorite game of all time and like 12 people like it there's something magical there you just have to sometimes work too hard to find it and i feel like monster hunter is one of those games so now that we've all you know played an appreciated world i think we we can go back and like you know suck the bone marrow out of like those old (laughs) shitty games and find you know (laughs) just play a play four ultimate that's still the best one by far yeah yeah so yeah, we go back and play four, and really appreciate it for what it is. And for that, Monster Hunter, good job. Yeah, good job. yeah, it's really great. If the, if it was like ten games, I would have put it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If uh, what is it? There, there's something else about Monster Hunter that I want to mention, and that is that there is not a, a more satisfying feeling, at least to me, when it comes to RPGs and stuff like this, than preparing yourself for a fight. Yes. Making sure you have everything in line, you know what you're doing, what you're getting into, going in with a plan. That is, like, one of my favorite parts about any RPG. And Monster Hunter makes that part really entertaining. Like, it's fun to prepare in that game. Like, you can literally make an entire armor and weapon build for fighting one specific monster and then choose to just never use it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That was the... Because, you know, sometimes you just want to RPG, role-playing game, sometimes you want to get into character and, like, that's kind of the vibe the whole game puts off is, like, you're fighting these these giant beasts and in order for your small ass to beat them, you got to be prepared. You got to lay traps. You got to... You know, bring the right tools to sort of help you with the fight. And yeah, when you 
when you figure out what the fuck you need, <laughs> it, it's really good. To, you know, everyone, you know, everyone, when a plan comes together, and that's honestly what the game's about. Yeah. All right, Diana, what is your number three? My number three is Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, shit. Just because it was something that I got to experience for the first time. And I'm a fan of, like, world-building storytelling where the environment you're in is as characterized as the people that are telling the story, like your narrator, your characters, and whatever. The way that Shadow of the Colossus builds up its, like, colossuses, and the way it builds up the environment, how it changes as you progress through the story, was just something that blew me away. The fact that, like, I was this tiny little thing, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna bring my girlfriend back to life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I made a conscious decision as this character to go into this like land that has been pretty much untouched. And then I, as a player, got to see how the actions of that character kind of rippled out like an infection. And it was just super interesting to see that done in a video game that I, in like memory, have not ever seen before. You know, it was kind of this like very intricate, very intimate way of telling the story without using a whole lot of dialogue or exposition. It was just there and it was an experience more than something that you got to like find out, you know? Yeah. Shadow Colossus is like probably the best example of show don't tell in video games. Oh, for sure. It's like <laughs> they 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 tell you like literally twelve things. You get, the the game's decently long, and you probably get this like outside of like you know the gibberish that the I don't remember the god's name, the evil god tells you. Yeah. Um, probably like twelve lines of dialogue. Um, yeah. And the rest of it is just like stuff you infer from just watching yeah and woof that ending <laughs> um, oh for sure <laughs> yeah no i i got nothing but love for that game i played it on the ps2 like a few years ago and immediately jumped up to one of my favorite games of all time and had i played that game when it came out probably would have been like probably my favorite game of all time but like by the time i got to it it was like you can see the age and uh fuck dog the yeah game is, it it felt like a a game that was like done this year. It's aged extremely well. And oh, I can yeah. I can tell even not playing it when it came out. Yeah, that game is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's like great. a really like there's there's no game quite like it. It's it's very much so like its own thing that like nothing will really it like nothing will ever achieve what it has done. Yeah. Yeah, I had also played that for the first time this year, and it's it's fucking good. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's good. A good a good ass game. Is is a good ass game. All right, Adam. Uh, take us away now all you have to do two. is play Eco and be like, "Wow, what the fuck?" I'd rather. <laughs> I, you want to know? I actually, I fucking started Eco. I like before I ever played Shadow of the Colossus, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> And then I never went back to it. Yeah. Eco is... Eh. Yeah. yeah. 
I've heard mixed things. Some people, I know some people who like super like eco. Um, but general consensus is, yeah, about that feeling. All right, Adam, number two. All right, my number two is is, is also an expansion. It's Destiny Two Forsaken. So mm-hmm. when I when I when I picked it up this time around, I thought it would be much like the first experience, my first experience with Destiny, where like I play it for a little bit. You know, I, I do some strikes, I call it a day, I get an exotic, ooh, look, it's cool, and then I never touch it again. But what I got this time around was, like, a super refined Destiny experience, and they have, like, a whole bunch of different systems of content and how they release it. Um, so this time, it's, like, on a weekly thing, so every single Tuesday, they'll release, like, a new, like new bits of content, as opposed to, like, start of an expansion, you're done. So so it's, like, this, um, it's this constant release cycle where it, it always gives you something new to do and it's not like some new garbage some like new shitty thing it always gives you something like new and unique to do and in this expansion they release like a whole new world and a whole new campaign and um they just do a whole bunch of like throwaway content where it'll come out one week and then you'll get the chance to do it and if not you'll have to wait a while until it comes back again and not only that with this game they introduced like this thing called the tincture of queen's foils and you can only use it in the new in like the new the new section of the game where it lets you see things that you couldn't see in the world before so it it's, it like adds this whole extra level and new content that you can only do through that stuff and it's just like it's like the super unique thing and all of it's like designed so goddamn well like if you ever want to it's also fuck it's also drop dead gorgeous have you guys ever looked at fucking this new shit the forsaken stuff nope my god it's gorgeous like just one day go ahead and look look up like the new raid or something like that like the last wish like this game is fucking beautiful i, I saw a tweet someone like when, when the game awards happened someone's like oh wow i love the new destiny raid and how the stage looked exactly like a fucking destiny raid <laughs> <laughs> it was really fucking weird but um and yeah I, i've played this game for a very long time i played it for like probably about 200 hours and like there's still shit I haven't ever done. Like, there's still, like, raids that I haven't done. I haven't gotten enough people to do yet. And, man, it's, like, it's, like, a good fucking feeling. They just, like, kind of nailed it this time around. I don't know if it'll stay like this. It probably won't. <laughs> because <laughs> they seem to nail things for very short periods of time and then ruin it. But, God, if you could just, like, put September's Destiny into a vacuum, it would be fucking outstanding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man, they left Activision, maybe they'll be able Maybe, to right? you know because the hopefully the people who made forsaken are still there and yeah, will yeah. continue I'm to really, be awesome yeah, yeah i'm really curious to see uh how much publisher influence actually like played a part in how they treated the game yeah it's like it's like a super interesting thing because on one hand they get more freedom but on one hand they have more freedom so like they have to do a lot more shit that publisher, yeah. that Activision would have done for them otherwise. Yeah. That so it's, it's it's like a weird double-edged sword where you can do what you want, but you also have a whole bunch of new things to do that you haven't that you didn't consider in the past. Yeah, so it definitely puts them in a weird spot because, like, Destiny is such, like, a big game, but, like, Bungie has a ton of clout, or had a ton of clout, so mm-hmm. it's like, I, I feel like with just that, they can get by fine on their own. Um but with a game as big as Destiny, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> if they have enough like resources and shit to. Yeah, come up. it's 
it's it's it's it's definitely it's definitely seeming like that. Yeah. I'm sure they can like sign a deal with a third party publisher to help them out. Like yeah. they're Bungie. Yeah. yeah. Man, they're they're gonna need something because Destiny is an expensive video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, the most expensive video game ever made. Damn. It, well, well, didn't I think that's true, right? I did think they spend like. It was either that or GTA Five. I, I I just assume every record belongs to GTA Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing is like it was still, still one of the best selling games in 2018. Yeah, <laughs> that shit came out five years ago. <laughs> yeah, shit's crazy. All right, Dan, number two. Uh, my number two is Monster Prom. Ooh. Uh. This was probably the biggest sleeper hit of the year, I think. Because, like, it's, it's a fucking competitive dating sim. <laughs> um, but everything about it is just so good and so unique. And I've never quite had an experience with a game like I've had with Monster Prom. Uh, so the, the, the concept is there's a bunch of monsters and it's two weeks to prom. And you gotta prom one of them. Or go alone. Uh, and you do this through interacting with them, going, like, uh, like getting to their table at lunch, buying items, increasing your stats. And it's, it's really, it's a lot more complicated than you would expect it to be. Uh, the writing is fantastic. I have, I have laughed at the same joke every time. <laughs> uh, and, like, that's really hard to do. <laughs> But, like, every time that scene where Polly and Vera are, like, eating because this guy in a suit has a fetish for watching girls eat while he sits politely at a fair distance away is, like, the funniest shit. (laughs) And it's just, oh, it's so well done. All the characters are super lovable. The artwork is gorgeous. Uh, The soundtrack is that, like, cheesy like surf movie OST <laughs> Beach Boys it's uh, it's so good and like the mechanics are so much deeper than you would think because it, there's not like when you're when you're prompted with uh, to answer uh, a question from one of the characters it's not just there's a right answer and a wrong answer both of them are correct answers and it depends on what your stats look like at the time you were asked so, like, they're dependent on, uh, say, if your boldness is higher than your creativity, then you have to pick answer A. But if it's not, then you pick answer B. And, like, it's it's so intricate, and the more you play it, the more you just get into, like, just finding stuff you would never find before. And when you play with multiple people, it gets super cutthroat because there comes a point where you have to fuck someone over. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Not to mention a bunch of secret endings that they're adding to the game. Like this like I think the Christmas patch added endings that you could get. And there's just there's so much content packed into this. I've played it so many times. I've dumped like 50 hours into it. It's it's such a good game. Also, keep in mind, when I say I've dumped 50 hours, 
one playthrough of Monster Prom with four players is like three or four hours. So I've played a ton of games in this, and I'm still finding new things, enjoying the same things. It's it's so well designed, and there's not going to be a game like this, like, ever. And it's just a really fun, unique experience, and everyone should play it. Sick. All right, my number two is... Technically not out, but <laughs> <laughs> it has, it's pretty much done. They're going to release it soon, I'm pretty sure. So I felt, I felt part of my experience with this game was actually watching it get patched and grow because these guys work fast. And my game is Slay the Spire. So Slay the Spire is a, a deck building roguelike. These two things are a match made in heaven. They just make perfect sense to be put together. And lo and behold, it works great. This this game is... This game. What can be said about this game? It is... It's a masterpiece. Two dudes just came together and made pretty much like the smartest most interesting tactical game that I've played this year. It, it, pretty much the, the general flow of the game is there are three characters. You pick one. Um, you start off with the basic deck. And as with general deck building rules, um, deck builders is like a, just a general genre. Lots of tabletop games are deck builders. Um, you start off with a small shitty deck with a bunch of strikes and defends, and then you get better cards. Pretty much every card is like agnostically better than the base cards, and you generally have to try to make the smallest. You generally try to make the smallest, um, most powerful deck because the smaller your deck is, the more consistent it is, and the better cards you have, the better the deck is. So there, you're pretty much going through, ascending through three floors, and now a fourth floor, um, where you add cards after every combat and you fight monsters and mini bosses and full-fledged bosses and there's a bunch of like random events that can happen in question mark rooms and so the general flow of the game is you pick your character you get your start deck you have a map that shows you the entire layout of the floor you can take several paths through branching paths that predict the rooms that you will go through and you use this to sort of chart your path to the boss in which you have to fight and after you fight the boss you get special relics which are sort of passive items that uh, stack upon your deck and um, and what this game does super well is that it's just fucking good <laughs> like <laughs> you could like we could try to use flowery language but there's six there's sorry there's three characters and each one has like I would say like four to five like clearly defined archetypes that are just based within the cards and then as but you're not gonna always get the clean archetype so what you have to do is you just kind of like scavenge for the best deck that you can make and it ends up creating these like super interesting combos where you might not even you know think to use cards in specific ways and these might interact with specific relics there's there's uh like shops where you could buy other relics and like buy you know, specific cards to maybe fill out your deck in certain ways. There's even, like, a relic that lets you get cards from other classes, which will really fuck shit up. Ooh. And it just provides so much replayability. And 
it's just so interesting and challenging and sometimes you'll just get fucked like you'll get just get bad rng and because of the sort of like predictive element of the map you can be like oh well that's really bad like that boss heart counters me um but i've got a whole floor to make you know <laughs> make the best of it and so you know it it just I, I don't even know let me let me pull up my steams and some on my computer how many hours have i put into this game <laughs> i think that i think that might be the strongest argument i can make i put 167 hours into this game and i'm probably going to put another 167 more um <laughs> it is just endlessly addictive super interesting intricate um and I can't wait to see what this small dev team of two dudes does next, or if they're just gonna keep supporting the game for many years, make more characters. I'm not sure what their plans are, but I'm going to be following it for damn sure. Yeah. That's another thing I have to get into a little bit more, and because like I played it right when it came out, and I super enjoyed it, and I got like close to the end, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm good, and then I stopped <laughs> because like that's just like been my experience with fucking roguelikes lately. I think I, like, burnt myself on them, like, like a long time ago. And now I'm like, yeah, okay, I, yeah, cool, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, but I I'm like, yeah, cool. I can see that this is good, but all right, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm all set, but I can see that this is really good. Yeah, the the, the third character they added is super interesting. It's like the robot okay. guy. I definitely, uh, I have the most fun playing him, personally. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'll go back to it at some point. Um, but, yeah, Deanna, what's your number two? My number two is God of War. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about God of War, and I think they're all important. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote well, over a page of notes for what I wanted yeah. to say for, for God of War, but I think I'll, I'll condense because we don't have that much time, and I don't want to take up that much time. So, first of all, I'll get through like all of the, the good stuff first. It does a really good job at portraying the bonds that Kratos has between his family. There's a tr development at Atreus. There's, and then he earns the like trust and respect of Kratos as the game progresses. The fact that Kratos can look at Atreus at the end of the game and say, that's my son and I am proud of his progress. And I am fully confident that he's going to use his knowledge for good is one of the most impactful things that I've experienced in a game this year. Second, whatever is said about Faye is said with the most respect in the game. Like, yeah, you're dealing with all of these Norse gods and all of that, but she was important to Kratos, she was important to Atreus, and she was important to every single character you meet, I think except for the exception of Freya. I don't know if they ever met or if she ever talked about her, but at points where Atreus is like, oh, like, can I carry her ashes? You didn't, you like weren't around enough anyway. She meant more to me than to you. The game like takes that moment and says, no, you don't know the depth of the relationship here. And I think that's just something I haven't seen in a game before, you know? And then the most important thing I think that this game does really, really well is that it's a, like historically the series has been about using brawn to solve your problems. With Atreus's development, 
it it reconciles that a little bit and says yes he's a god but he's more powerful than he could have ever imagined because he knows how to use his cunning in the right way and that's just not like there are a lot of things that this game does that you know I just haven't experienced in video games and that's one of them because if you use you know like your pen the pen is mightier than the sword etc etc but it also shows that you need to go through a period of words hold on you need to go through a period of like being a little bit of an asshole to get to the other end of I can see with clarity what I was meant to do and how I can use the past and history to influence my decisions today. And that's something Atreus learns. I think that's great. My critiques. For all the reckoning that Kratos does with his past, the game's a lot more shy about it. Faye's the driving force of the story, and she's not given a whole lot of agency. She was respected, she, like, revered even, especially by Kratos. And as far as who she was, we just don't know. We just know she was Kratos' wife, Atreus' mom. Um, Sindri was in love with her or whatever. The fact that, like, we never hear her voice at all, it, it doesn't sit well with me. And that could have been done in just, like, a letter to Kratos and Atreus at the end of the game when they come home, you know? I'm also very upset about how fucking dirty they did Freya in the end. The fact that this woman had hundreds of years to reflect on what she did to Baldur and didn't learn a single fucking thing from it and didn't learn how to process that critical information is the sloppiest story, character development, whatever I have seen. The fact that the writers of this game looked at Freya's character and looked at her history and said, no, she just wouldn't do any critical thinking about that situation, about her son, about what he's capable of, about what she did to him to make him this way. And for her to just accept that he's going to kill her uh, just makes me so heated and so mad. Did, I get that their relationship is supposed to be a foil for Kratos and Atreus, but it's a bad one. It's badly written and it has no weight to it whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, God of War is good. Combat's good. <laughs> <laughs> I got glowing armor. Niflheim is great. I just, I just think it has some flaws that are, that don't sit well with me. Okay. Yeah, that's it. God. <laughs> What's it's your number the one? The first number one. <laughs> <laughs> number one, number one of four. <laughs> uh, my favorite game of the year was Celeste. Celeste is like a game where, like, pi picture your most comforting position. Like, pi like, picture the most comforting thing you can think of. Like, you know, like, fucking grabbing a blanket and hot chocolate or fucking anything. And that's what Celeste is. Celeste is one of the most, like, comforting games of all time. And it works really interesting with, like, what it actually is. Because Celeste is this, like, hard-as-nails platformer that, like, scratches the same itch as, like, you know... The, the, the other popular platformer indies like Super Meat Boy, Spelunky, uh, like Cuphead, but like, you know, a little differently. But you, you know what I'm saying, like all, all of those hard indie platformers. But Celeste does this thing where like, 
it, it tells a super super charming story along the way as well and the story actually like goes hand in hand with the difficulty of the game so this the story's about madeline is he she's a girl who was suffering with anxiety a lot and they ended up playing that in the game like playing that into the way the game plays a lot so it's um it ends up working really beautifully um so like say like as her anxiety gets worse things tend to be harder and stuff like that um and the the way that the world looks and the and like it adapts it's it's it, it go it, it coincides with her current feelings yeah i think it's super super cool and not only that, it's, like, super hard, and it's got that, like, those, those super tight controls that you'd expect from from a really good indie platformer or any platformer of that sense. Um, it, like, it, like, it, like, strikes this, like, really good balance of, like, floaty and, like, stiff, where it's, it, it just flows incredibly, incredibly well. And it's also a platformer that has fucking tech. Like, this platformer, this 2D platformer has got tech. It's got your fucking, like, wall bounces and, like, you can do the, you can do these, like, weird air dash mechanics and stuff like that. It's super fucking cool. And, um, I, I think it's overtaken, like, my favorite indie game, like, my favorite indie platformer, which previously was Super Meat Boy. But, God, this game is so fucking incredible. It's got a kick-ass soundtrack. It tells, like, a, a nice story. And... It, it's just fucking good. And it, it also has this thing where, like, say say if you fucking hate platformers, say if you hate hard platformers, it has an assist mode where, like, it'll let you accomplish some of the harder levels without necessarily having to put the time in to learn it, which, or, or like, if, if you so choose, if you don't want to spend time, like, banging your head against the wall, you can just turn on assist mode and they have, like, different variables where it's, like, you get an extra air dash or you can do it like as such as like you just fucking become invincible if you really don't want to give a fuck about it. it. But yeah, it's it's just so fucking good, man. I've heard a lot of really really good things about Celeste, and I keep meaning to buy it, and then I just don't. You should. Yeah, no platformers are like my favorite yeah. genre. I honestly don't yeah. know why I haven't yet. Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 exceptional. Yeah, I'm in the same spot where I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Dan, what is your game of the year? My game of the year is also a 2D platformer. It's Mega Man 11, <laughs> as you all fucking expected. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, all bias aside, Mega Man 11 is such a fantastic return to form for the series. It it takes it, it legit takes almost all of my, my initial problems with the classic Mega Man series and just and just fixes them. And most of them are like quality of life things. Like Rush is now not a weapon. He's just designated to a button that you can use whenever. Uh, all of the weapons in the game uh, now have practical use outside of boss fights, which eh, typically in Mega Man games, there's one weapon that has practical use outside of boss fights, and it's typically the one you just keep on. Like, Mega Man 2 had the Metal Blade, for example. Uh, but in this, I found myself using all of the weapons in various situations, and they've all helped me out. Even the ones you wouldn't think are that helpful have helped me out in a lot of different ways. And that's also due in part to the fact that now random, just regular-ass stage enemies also have weaknesses to specific weapons. 
Um, and they can just interact with stages in really weird ways. Uh, for example, there's... Uh, in Torchman stage, there's this section where there are enemies going down in a diagonal line. And, you know, with your buster, you can only hit them one at a time. But... Uh, wait, no, not Torchman stage. Uh, someone else's stage. There are enemies going down in a line diagonally. Uh, and normally you'd only be able to hit them, like, one at a time with your buster. But if you use Torchman's weapon, which is effectively a dive kick in the form of a projectile, uh, it, it shoots up and then comes down at a 45-degree angle, and you can beat all of them in one shot and make your, your life a lot easier in that stage. Uh, and this just kind of applies to all the weapons in the game, and it's really cool. Um... All the robot masters have a ton of personality, more so than usual. Uh, they're all great. I love Tundra Man. Uh, and I love Block Man. And everyone is just so sick. Uh, it, it looks really good. I, I had a lot of reservations about its, its style when it was first being shown off. But in motion and actually playing it, it looks substantially better than uh, trailers and stuff show it to be. Uh, shooting has never felt better. Uh, jumping still feels just as good. Uh, uh, the difficulty is there, but in, in classic Mega Man fashion, it's mostly fair. A lot of the obstacles are, uh, so Mega Man design philosophy is you're given an, uh, an obstacle in a controlled environment so you can learn what it does. And then on the next stage, the game is like, we showed you what this does. Show me how you adapt to it. And it does this throughout the entire stage. And the further you get in the stage, you meet different obstacles and they're put in different ways. And they're just constantly testing your ability to identify uh, issues and adapt to them. And uh, Mega Man 11 really, really highlights this really well and makes it probably some of the most well-done uh, stage design I've seen in a platformer. Uh, fucking shit. What else? Um, <laughs> I, I, I can talk a lot about Mega Man 11. Yeah, yeah. The double Earlier gear system were... is really great. <laughs> Earlier when you were talking about Torchman, I thought you said Porchman. <laughs> I got really confused. I was picturing Stoop Kid. And... Uh... <laughs> I guess I thought I needed to share that for some reason. <laughs> uh, oh, what else was I going to say? Um, it has a really good soundtrack uh, once you stop viewing it as like... Like, like when, when you change your expectations as to what it's going to be, it ends up being very good. Because, like, at the start, Mega Man songs are typically just all about drive. They're all about making you feel like you need to go right. And uh, oh. Mega Man 11 takes a more atmospheric turn to it, where it's like they still have that drive and they still have that go right uh, to it. But uh, they also kind of take the time to establish like the setting of the stage and like what you're what you're trying to do. Uh, and that's a, a brand new take on Mega Man music. And I think it turned out really well. Um, they also added a lot of uh, player agency in terms of dealing with the platforming itself. There are like four or five different ways you're able to tackle each individual screen in the game. 
because of you know all the weapons you have on top of just being like projectiles also have utility like one of the weapons is uh mega man ramming into stuff with a drill but it can also function as a mid-air dash so like that gives you an entirely new movement option to tackle specific obstacles and you just get a bunch of different ways to do everything blockman stage is a really good uh, example of this because you can jump on the falling blocks in any way you want and still make it up to the top of the stage uh it's so good <laughs> it's so good i'm so happy to see that mega man is back it's it's been my favorite series like since i got into video games and to see it come back this strong like mega man 11 is one of the best classic Mega Man games to date, by far. And I'm super excited to see where the series goes from this. It means so much to me to see that this game is not only good, but great. Sick. What was the last X game? X8. And that was when on the X9. PS2. <laughs> or actually, no, it was Command Mission, I think. One of those two. I forget the order in which they came out. But yeah, one X9. Uh, I hope I hope it's good. Everything <laughs> yeah, after yeah. X six has been <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. I want X nine. I want I want anything, Mega Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's this good. <laughs> yeah. This is such a high standard for future Mega Man games. It's incredible. Alright. So my goatee is God of War. So we've heard a lot about it, so I'm going to take it into a little different perspective. So the first God of War was 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 an interesting game. It was a special game because it really focused on that idea of the Greek tragedy. Um, the later games in the series, while they were good, they kind of just became, you know... Big muscle like man killing gods. It, it became, you know, spectacle porn. It was just like they were, you know, cutting edge games that push scale harder than anything did. Especially fucking God of War 3. Holy shit. <laughs> scale and perspective were pretty much what that game was about. But the first game was, was, was a lot more intimate. It was this broken man kind of... <laughs> losing everything and going into a rage and the gameplay sold that idea and the story sold that idea and it ends badly <laughs> he becomes the god of war and is unhappy that is how the game ends <laughs> he succeeds in all his goals but the, pretty much the moral of the story is don't be Kratos he gets what he wants and he's left with nothing apparently is, is effectively what it is um, and so in, in my head a after playing God of War 4 or God of War 2018 this is like the true sequel to God of War in, in my opinion and that it it knows what the fuck it wants to be this entire game fires on every cylinder that exists the entire team f no knew I, I don't understand. So, and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, the game director, Corey Balrog. He, he, I don't know what 
the the meetings at this place were like but it might have just been him telling stories about his kid and getting everyone just it, he just made everyone in, in the studio paternal or maternal like they just because <laughs> this entire game is just all about parenthood and what that means and what that feels like and i think it succeeds in almost every respect i also agree that freya was poorly handled i think they were trying to show that a mother's love is unconditional but i don't think it <laughs> yeah i also found it a bit jarring yeah. um but everything else i, I got to talk about it's not i'm not going to go too specifics on it but there's just a part i would say probably halfway through the game where something bad happens to us um and it's sort of uh it's just kratos like panicking and they linger on this for so long it's like a clean 20 30 minutes of just like cutscene. it's not like cutscenes too too much um but you're not really fighting anyone and it's just like Kratos not being okay for a long time and I really respect you 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 know the the suits were there saying no you can't just have the players not play the game for fucking 40 minutes but they did it they 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 probably fought for it and they chose it cuz they knew how important that moment was to the game and it ends with the sort of the great reveal of sort of Kratos having to kind of uh, answer for some of his crimes he did in the past and kind of like look backwards in his previous life. Um, and it was just so powerful that that entire sequence. Um, and it really, it really spoke to me on fucking on everything. And like, just the relationships between Kratos and his son is just like I don't know man like I like I'm usually like I love being sad I love when media makes me sad but this might be the first piece of media where like if something bad happened to a character I would legit not be okay um and I literally would not want bad things to happen to these people usually I'm like yeah fucking kill them it'll it'll be super sad i'll be happy like or like i'll be sad and like it'll be glorious or whatever but like i legit don't want bad things to happen to kratos or atreus in in the in the subsequent games i honestly don't even want a sequel because i'm afraid bad things might happen to them um like fuck dog what a, what, what an inspired and interesting game um like there there are a few games that it's just like damn i think <laughs> i don't i don't remember what the quote from the spider verse is but it's just like <laughs> i think i might want to be a dad or some shit <laughs> like that uh peter b parker says towards the end <laughs> but like fuck dog like this game like this game like sells like the importance of uh, and like the interests of like parenthood to me and that's super interesting and um definitely uh, the game that emotionally affected me the most i just love how like kind of quiet a lot of the game is um and how the a lot happens but nothing not a lot happens at the same time 
it's they have one goal and then like things get in their way and they have to solve it like, that that's that's pretty much the plot of the of the story they have one thing they need to do and sometimes something blocks their path and they have to move the boulder and sometimes the boulder can be very complex and that's it and along the way they see and meet some interesting people and that's it that's in in this sort of triple a game over over the top crazy budget type of game they were able they were willing and able to tell such a small story that knew that knew what it wanted to be and everyone everyone had like a <laughs> it everyone knew everyone knew what the fuck this game was about <laughs> like you can you can always tell this like some people want different things out of a game like you'll find that like one side story that's kind of like you know, it's like, oh, this guy was just telling his, <laughs> you know, he was just doing his sort of, like, uh, fan fiction here. But, like, there's nothing in this game that goes to waste. Everything is assists in the the main theme of the game. <laughs> they, they used all parts of the fucking buffalo in this in this game, man. It is, it is a fucking masterpiece. Um, it... I respect the fuck out of this game. I respect everyone whose hands... <laughs> made this meal um thank you F- fucking thanks um diana what is your number one go- or your goatee i get the i get the last goatee mm-hmm. yeah oh my god um it's yakuza 6 the song of life um there are a few games that i have hit the credit screen and my face has been damp this is one of those games. There are so many. I talked about like I talked about God of War being about family. And I I like that. Yakuza 6 takes it to the next level because it not only shows what like a mother would do for her the child, but it plays with the family dynamic because you have all of these like adopted families and found families and it does a really really good job at demonstrating that those bonds can be just as strong if not stronger than the bonds you were born with there are characters that for like 50 years on this game's timeline have been loyal to one person who showed them a kindness like when they needed it the most and that is their family and they would do literally anything for that there are massive secrets behind that one act and the way it it kind of dances around those and like how they're tied to like our history and the history of like where we come from is just on a scale that I I want to emulate like with my own writing someday and it's just honestly indescribable how well thought out and well executed the bonds in Yakuza 6 are and not only is it because like oh yeah everyone's Yakuza that means like you're sworn to whatever it's it's people like looking out for one another even though they haven't known each other that long too 
and it, like it I didn't like write down my thoughts as much as I did for God of War because I really wanted to get those right but Yakuza 6 has so many intertwining themes that especially about like what you would do for like someone who has taken the place of a child that you like walked away from that you like adopted that you didn't expect to have that this role that you never expected to live long enough to fulfill it's it just takes all of those and it does all of those so well um that it's hard for me not to put it at number one yeah <laughs> like all i right. also i I cried for like 45 minutes through the ending of this game. Yeah, I. There's <laughs> actually, sorry, there's two games where I wouldn't want bad things to happen to people. <laughs> and the other one's fucking Yakuza. Oh, man. I remember after I finished, like, I remember, like, part of me was like, I don't want to play this game. Because, like, I kind of, uh, obviously don't, don't make any expression either way. But, like, I, I, could, I knew bad things were going to happen to people I care about. And I don't, <laughs> honestly I mean, don't want it to happen. Like, though. bad things um, happen, but this game has a happy ending. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's that's what really, really <laughs> got me. All right. Yeah, I don't want to say this anymore. Was, <laughs> no, yeah, per- beautiful, perfect. Um, this has been the Lifecast 2018 Goatee. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh if you're interested in if you enjoyed our conversations um we do a bunch of other things at the lifecast network dot yeah. lifecast.net sorry <laughs> um yeah uh see you next week Bye. we're probably gonna do um uh 2019 you know a preview of what's coming out uh yeah yeah, yeah look forward to that and we'll see you next time bye Peace.